The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 99. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and joining me today is Elizabeth Bruckner, one of our fantastic Fluent in Three Months coaches. And we're going to be doing something a little bit different on this episode of the podcast. We're going to be sharing some personal stories and some of the stories of challengers who have taken part in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. And our focus is really going to be on self-compassion and resilience and why they matter for your language learning. So first, to kind of get into this conversation and everything, Elizabeth, do you want to catch us up on what's been going on for you over the last year? Thanks, Shannon. Um, Welcome, everyone. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, What's been going on for me the last year? Well, I think it's been a lot like everyone else's last year, which is difficult. There have been some ups and downs, some real um, challenges in finding joy, connection, presence um, during these tumultuous times. And so that's why I'm grateful that we're sitting down together, because I think a lot of times as multilingual or polyglots, you understand how you learn a language during tough times. But one of the gifts of being a coach in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge is that we get to see how many people learn languages. And it's not always the same as ours. And sometimes we get new ideas from it. But more importantly, there's a behind the scenes that people don't see in the challenge. So we become coaches for language learning, but we also become confidants. I think, Shannon, you and I have had a lot of people that will say to us, oh, you don't understand. I have a language disability and I'm a learning disability. And that's why I can't learn this way. And I'm like, oh, well, we actually have had 10 other challenges that had that language, that learning disability. And here's how they did it. Or, oh, you don't understand. I might have to leave the challenge because I just lost my job or I just lost a loved one or I'm caregiving for someone and they're really sick. And and I know that myself and probably you have had, had some of those difficult situations, but we've also seen hundreds of people that have also done that and stayed in the challenge and not to win the challenge, just to learn the language and to allow language learning to be a respite, a retreat from the difficulties of the real world. So I'm really excited that we're going to be talking about this today because I think it's an important topic. Absolutely. And just to kind of add to what you said, while the challenge is really focused on language learning it has been kind of like this place of safety for a lot of people when they've been going through different things. It's something that they can rely on that provides some consistency when things are kind of going crazy personally. And it also gives them something to really focus on and push their energy into. I don't know about you and I don't know how healthy this is, but I know a lot of the time when things are really difficult for me, um, really putting my focus into like learning my languages or working on music or even my work, allowing myself to focus on tasks keeps me from kind of withdrawing and allowing my attention to dwell on like whatever negative is going on in my life. And so it's like a healthy way for me to kind of redirect my energy, maybe not to the amount that I do it. Of course, that's a different discussion, but it can be a great outlet for you when you're struggling in other aspects of your life. 
what you're talking about now reminds me of regenerative growing of food and regenerative living, which is closing that loop, except you're doing it energetically. And so uh, closing that loop means I eat something like I cut up vegetables and the pieces of the vegetables that I don't need, I put in the compost and then that creates good soil and that soil and then feeds me again. And it's this, it's kind of using energy in a way that we don't have to outsource right? We don't have to, and we don't also get just stuck in the muck and the mire. If you stop at one cycle there, for instance, just composting, you're going to have a big heap of dirt and nothing. And so language learning can be the same thing. It can be that place where you compost some of your emotions and then come up and have, have some beautiful flowers in, in the interim. So we're going to talk about that today. And what I really like to look at when I'm looking at emotional issues when I'm looking at difficult times, that we are not just physical beings, we're also emotional and spiritual beings. And so I'd love to talk today about some of the ways that we can take care of ourselves while touching languages in those three aspects. So I think the one of the easiest ones is physical, especially since you have a great deal of experience in the in taking care of your body physically and language learning on top of that. So as some of you probably already know, for anxiety and depression, one of the best over-the-counter medications is moving your body, is helping get that endorphin release. It's helping to, in Chinese medicine, it's helping to move the chi in the body. And you can do that while also connecting to your language learning. So uh, some of the examples that I've seen in the challenge and some of the examples that I've used myself are really simple things like taking a walk and listening to a podcast in your target language. Now, for me, one of the ways that I do that, like, let's say I'm having a really difficult time in my life and I just listening to a full on intermediate level podcast in my target language is too much for my nervous system at that moment. What I'll do is I'll break that walk up into several portions. So I'll have the, let me just get into the cue of the habit, which is the first five minutes. I might listen to coffee break French, which is mostly in English. It's about French. It's really soft and easy to learn. And then I'll do maybe my new target language, like German in a, a, you know, five minutes, just five minutes of like hardcore target language listening. And then to give myself a dessert after that, I'll listen to a French podcast about something that I like, like maybe it's time management or maybe it's uh, self-improvement. And I'll just listen to that and I'll allow it to, all of this is extensive learning. All of it's just letting it flow while my body is moving. And then, so I might go in and out. I might see some flowers that I want to sniff, or there might be a dog that I want to meet, or there might be a neighbor I want to say hello to. And I don't go back and try to listen again and get it more, more um, intense in my brain. I just let it flow over as if I was listening to a podcast in English. And then at the end, um, I might listen to uh, something that like the finish a, a book, you know, an audio book as I'm walking, but it's really important that I'm doing it in a way that's nurturing. And I think you'll hear me say that a lot during this particular episode is that there are times for it to be like, let's get go, let's get it done, you know, kind of pushing through. But during the difficult times, I want it to, I want my language learning to be a really safe place that I can just be cozy with myself and I can nurture myself if I'm not getting that nourishment from outside out in the outside world. What are one of the ways that you use physical movement to help during difficult times and connect to your target languages? One of the things that I've been doing lately is finding tutorials for things that I do to move my body, mostly, as you know, martial arts and 
dance. And thankfully, like for both of those things, there's a lot out there for in those languages. Um, the type of dance that I do is really popular in Russia. So there's lots of tutorials in Russian, lots of Instagram posts that are in Russian. Um, martial arts is something that is practiced worldwide. So I can find lessons in almost any language. And doing that allows me to work on two things at once. And it's something that I really enjoy doing. Um, and then like you too, walking is just so restorative for everything. And it's just, it's so healthy and so good for you to do. It's so good for your body. And it's also one of the best things that you can do whenever you're feeling any sort of big emotion. So if you're angry, go on a walk, you will feel better. If you and your partner are fighting, go on a walk together because you like, it's difficult to continue fighting while you're walking next to each other <laughs> and even hold hands. It makes it even harder to mm. fight. And it, you can like talk things out or it's just like to get out of the house, to break up the scenery, to refresh your mind, to get fresh air, to be outside. You know, if you're feeling sad, you go on a walk. It allows you to process. So just walking helps your physical body and it helps your mental body because, you know, it's just so restorative and it also like it takes energy. And so a lot of the time when you're feeling big emotions, it's because you need a release and it's like you need to get some of what's being held inside out and going and burning some energy is a good way to do that. So walking is also good for that. So going on walks and like you, I listen to podcasts. I like Pimsler. And so I will listen to Pimsler. It's about half an hour, which is the perfect amount of time for a walk and for a language lesson. So it pairs quite nicely. And so those are some of the things that I will do um, to practice my languages. And even to like my son studies martial arts and he goes to two different schools. And one of the schools he goes to is taught significantly in Korean. And so um, he gets that body movement. He gets the language exposure. Um, and then I also get to kind of listen in and hear some of the things too. And even though I'm not physically moving at that point, something that in my head as I'm practicing later, I could be doing. Um, also, whenever we travel, we try to go to a martial arts school wherever we're traveling. So we just went to a school in Seattle. And they also use some Korean in their courses. So it was a good refresher. And I had to count out loud in Korean, which was kind of funny um, and not something that I'm used to doing while I'm practicing um, in class. So it was just, it was really good. And so, you know, kind of learning the things that I love doing and that I do like for me, especially dance, especially dance, like I go, that's me time. Like mm -hmm. it's kind of exercise, not really so much compared to like some of the more intensive things that I do with martial mm -hmm. arts and weightlifting. Um, so I'm like going and I'm just focusing on dancing. There's music. One of my instructors is Japanese and, and some of the other students in the class are Japanese. So I get to joke around and practice in those languages with the other dancers every once in a while, like um, one of the instructors is also married to someone who's from Korea. So she'll be playing K-pop songs in that class. And then like the Japanese teacher will be playing Japanese pop in her classes. And so I get exposure to these different languages in the dance class. And um, some of the girls, like there's a girl who's half Russian and half Iranian. So she speaks Persian and Russian. So, and her mom comes who speaks fluent Persian. So it's like, I get to practice all these languages at, at dance and that's just great. And so it's like, a, it's like for me, a place of going and letting go. And then also connecting with friends because community is so important. And then the benefit of those friends happening to speak other languages that I speak. So like there's that extra level of connection there too. I'm so jealous of your dance class. I'm so jealous because, you know, first of all, there's so many things that kind of get ignited when you talk. Number one, this idea of looking at YouTube videos, like if you're doing for me, it's I love yoga. So if I'm doing yoga 
online and I'm doing it in a different language, you can always peek up and see what they're doing. So it's not like you're going to get completely lost. The second thing is this idea of touch, which I think we should go into next, but the, um, the idea of group community exercise and moving, how did you find a group where there were so many different speakers of different languages? Was it just luck? Uh, Yes. It was. Um, it's also partly the community where I live. It's pretty diverse. Um, so we have, in particular, a really big group of um, Iranians in this area. So I just get lots of opportunity to practice Persian. But um, it was pure luck. And I didn't pick it because of that. It was just like an added benefit. Um, I had no idea going in. Like, I just wanted to try that style of dance. And I went. And it wasn't even until several months in that I began to realize that, like, that was a place where I could connect with people in other languages too. So um, just by chance, just by luck. But I think I believe in like serendipity and things kind of working out the way that they're supposed to work out. I believe if you put like good energy out and you project out what you want to get back, you're going to get it back. So um, I don't know, maybe I kind of manifested it. (laughs) Who knows by picking the school, like, you know, it's just, I picked the school and it it worked out for me in a positive way because I put positive energy out into doing this thing, um, which like, with dance, I could I could get into a whole bunch of other stuff, probably not for this episode, but I'd be interested in having that conversation with you anyways at some point, Elizabeth. And then also too, you know, when I go and I do that thing and it's, it's part of the community and, and it's part of connecting, you're doing something with other people, you naturally reach out and in reaching out, you find opportunities for things that you might not have otherwise. And so even if it's not necessarily languages, like just, I come into dance class and I wear a Pokemon shirt and one of the dance teachers goes, Oh my God, I love Pokemon. And it's like, yes. So then you have like this connection with them. And that, while that's not language, it's another passion of mine. So just like kind of putting yourself out there in these situations and being open to what might come back to you in that, um, rather than just kind of being closed off and being like, I'm just here to dance. I'm not here for anything else. I am just here for dance. You get a lot more back. I think children really teach us this and, and children teach us this in language learning too, because children have a wonder about the world, right? They go to dance class and they're like, you know, they don't know that it's dance class. They just know that mom and dad enrolled them into a class and they show up and then they make friends and they talk. And I think if we could keep that wonder of, of a child when we go into any experience, and I know you and I, because I, there's a great story about you meeting your best friend and just overhearing her speak Mandarin and speaking to her. I'm the same way. It's like, if I hear an accent, if there's somebody speaking English and I know it's not, it's English is their second language or their fifth language. I am going to talk to them about languages. And so it is staying open to the possibilities. And when you're, because if you went in there and never spoke Korean and never spoke Russian, no one would know, you know, you speak English perfectly. You don't have an accent. Well, it's not even that. So you know me and you know how introverted I am. And I can absolutely be the person in the back corner of the class who does not talk to anyone. And initially when I went, before I started to get comfortable, I was, I would only engage with the teacher. And even at one point, one of the teachers was like, you know, it's really funny. You don't talk to anybody. You just talk to me. And I was like, yeah, but you know, eventually once I got comfortable in the situation, I start to open up and reach out more to other people. It's like, you start to see the same faces going to different classes. So then it's like, I'm less afraid to say, hi, I've never seen you before. It's like, hi, we keep having classes together. What was your name again? Oh, Natasha, Natasha. Are you Russian by chance? Yes. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just like, 
I'm not saying that because I am not that person who's going to like just immediately jump in, you know, get used to the cold water by diving in head first. That's mm-hmm. not me. Mm-hmm. I am the kind of person that slips a foot in, stands on the first step for five minutes, gets down to the second step, complains a little bit, and then gets down into the third step and is like, oh, okay, at this point, I'm just going to go head in. <laughs> and then I'm in the water. So um, I'm, I'm a gradual getting in, but I do definitely recognize that there are benefits to fully immersing yourself in whatever situation that you're in. So even if I'm a little bit slower to do it, I do push myself to do it um, because I know it's going to be worth it in the end. Yeah. And I think also I'm introverted, but I'm a gregarious introvert. So I don't have a, I don't have a problem uh, interrupting conversations if I hear people speaking in other languages that I can speak. But during difficult times, uh, many of us go inward right? Because we are talking about how to connect with languages. And so I I like this idea of dipping your toe in, because if you've got a broken wing emotionally, you don't want to throw yourself into a meetup maybe that day, you know, maybe you want to do something where you're getting to know the group like you're doing. And so sometimes in that case, a language learning meetup might be too difficult, but a dance class where there's some people that may speak other languages and you can get to know them and, and also being uh, quiet initially is okay. So I've heard a lot of challengers tell me, we have um, alumni in our challenges that volunteer to be language party hosts. And I have a number, and I'm sure you have too, a lot of times we get the same DM together at the same time, where challengers are like, I went to the party and I didn't know anything. And so I left after five minutes. And I know the people that are hosting the challenge. I know that they're friendly and welcoming. But sometimes it's so hard when we're having difficult times to stick with it. So what I often recommend to people is to come in to those events. If you are going to a language speaking event where people are going to expect you to speak languages and, and save a few sentences, like learn a few sentences like, today, I would like to just listen, or I'm, you know, I'm a beginner and I, I'm, I'm timid. I I love the word timid in, um, in French, which is I'm shy. I'm not shy, but it was a good, easy word to remember. So that's what I would use. And it would slow people down and they would allow me to just be there. So that's this idea of, again, going back to nurturing, like if you tend to be introverted and shy, you don't need to force yourself to do it the way that Benny does it or the way that I might do it. Find ways that work for you. And if you're not introverted and shy, but you're having a really difficult time and it's making it more difficult for you to reach out, it's okay to dip your toe into the water because any contact, as Kirsten um, Cable says, any contact with the language is good contact with the language. I just want to jump in on something here. Um, And like you said, going to a language party or something like that, where there's an expectation to speak the language doesn't mean that the first time you have to speak the language. Mm. So there's a lot of power in being the quiet one and observing. And that's kind of what I tend to do. So before I started reaching out and connecting to the other girls in dance class, I would, I was the back corner quiet person. Okay. Sorry. I know I said I wasn't, but I initially I was, but I observed. So I sat quietly in the back of the room and I listened in on the conversations that were public. I wasn't listening to the private conversations, but when the girls were like talking to each other across the room or kind of involving everyone in the room, I would listen and pay attention. And I would learn things about the other people in the class. Um, And I would hear them speak other languages in the class, or I would hear accents or different things. And it gave me tools and equipment and knowledge so that when I was ready to reach out and engage, I had something where I could say like, oh, I heard you have kids. How old are your kids? I've got kids too. Or, oh, I heard that you have an accent. Do you speak 
Japanese. Oh, I heard you talking about this the other day. I'm a musician too, or things. And, and it gives you these little ins、mm-hmm. by observing and by listening. And so the same is true at a language party. So you can show up to the first meeting and be the quiet one who doesn't really talk. Mm-hmm. But you listen, you figure out what sorts of things people are talking about, what sorts of levels they're at, little things about the people in the meeting, so that the next one you show up and you could be like, hey, so and so, you were talking about your dog the last time.、Um, I have a dog too, or how is your dog doing? Or tell me again, how old is your dog? It gives you all of these things that you could bring and prepare so that the next time you can go in prepared, you have. Talking points. You、um, have ins with the people. You also are like winning huge points with them because you're showing that you are invested in what they've said and that you're paying attention to what they've said, which I don't care who you are. If I was talking about something and someone walked up to me and said something about what I was saying from a time before, I'd be like, wow, you remember that? Wow,、mm-hmm. you were listening? Wow, you were paying attention、mm-hmm. to that? It's like, wow, you like, most people don't take the time to do that. It's like, now I'm interested in you.、Mm-hmm. And so now I'm going to actually like really be invested in. Interacting with you. And so those can be like being the quiet observational person who's kind of making mental notes or even taking down physical notes、um, on a notebook. That can be a huge asset to you, whether you're introverted, whether you're shy, which I am both, or whether you're feeling down, because when you're feeling down, it's you can kind of really get. Stuck being super introspective and being super me, 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 me.、Mm-hmm. And that's not saying like you're a bad person or anything.、Mm-hmm. It's just when you're not feeling good, it's easy to kind of withdraw and just, you know, put the blinders on and be in your own head way too much. And so you cannot be feeling good. And I can be sitting there and be feeling horrible and dance and be self focused and be like, hey, Shannon, huh? Oh, yeah, sorry. Or I could be, I'm not going to think about what I'm feeling right now. I'm going to focus on what everyone else is talking about in the room. And then, like, sometimes I end up with like some giggles, like laughing unexpectedly because it's like, okay. Or,、um, you know, learning something about someone that gives me something to initiate. A conversation with them later, which is incredibly difficult for me to do. But if I if I'm listening and paying attention, and this person was talking about, oh, you know,、uh, they've got this date with their new boyfriend for Valentine's Day. It's like, okay, the next time I see them, I'm gonna be like, how was the date? Like, you know, and it gives me an in with them, and they're like, oh, you were listening to what I was saying. It's like, wow, thank you, you know, and it's a way of showing that you care, you too. And when you care about someone and you're listening to what they say. That's going to get reflected back to you. They're going to ask questions about you and they're going to care. And then you can get into places where maybe you don't go into detail about what's really bothering you, but you could just be like, ah,、oh, man, man, it was a tough week for me. And you get some compassion back. And that's really powerful. I love this. And we'll, we'll talk about touch in a minute because what you're talking about, first of all, is a lost art. And I think we need to bring it back, which is being interested in other people. And、uh, that goes back to one of the, Tools that I wrote down. I wrote down a number of tools that you can use during difficulties for language learning. And the one you're talking about now goes really nicely to with service, being of service to others. So, some ways that you can learn a language or make contact with your language is to be of service to others.、Um, maybe you want to volunteer at a women's shelter with people that speak the target language. We have a few challengers that were coming to the challenge because they wanted to help refugees. 
that's amazing, right? It doesn't have to be you're going to go into the trenches because if you're not feeling that great, sometimes it's difficult to be of service in really difficult, in a, a difficult way. Like maybe working with the homeless, your heart's already broken and it's not a good idea for you to have your heart broken there or working in a, 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 a kill shelter where you're trying to help get those dogs adopted before they are put down. But there are other ways that you can do it. So maybe you meet a friend that, you know, a friend of a friend that just moved to the United States and they feel very shy and they want to learn a language. And you could say, listen, they want to learn English. And you could say, listen, I'd be happy to help you. And then maybe most of your conversation with that person is partially in the target language, but a lot is about English. But what I find is when I'm talking to a language exchange partner and they're speaking to me in English, they'll often say, what's that word? And then they'll say it in the target language. And then it's like, I'm getting quiz and it's really good for my brain. And it also helps me kind of see what the, what English looks like to them. And it, I then see what that target language looks like through the eyes of a native speaker. So being of service in little ways, you know, just asking about, you know, how's your dog or how are your kids? There is something about that. That's like, oh my gosh, that person remembered me. Some of the most interesting people in my world and my sphere are people that are naturally curious. And if you can build that curiosity muscle again, what do you, why do you think kids are so joyful? They're curious. They've never seen a bumblebee for the first time. They don't understand that, you know, what is this ladybug that's crawling on me? That's, you know, that mom says is really good for eating um, bad bugs. And, you know, what's that, what's that animal that goes meow? And why is it different than a dog? Like these things are things that we get to learn again in our target languages. So being of service is really, I think it's one of the essential parts of humanity. And when we can be helpful, I find that when you feel helpless, be helpful. So if you if you're having a day where you feel like there's nothing's going right, my life is in shambles or this particular situation is I'm completely powerless over. Why don't I show up for someone else? And, you know, I've actually I've had that happen a number of times, especially when I see people that are as as a person that tends to be rather empathetic. When someone's in pain, I feel that that pain often deeply. And one of the best ways to to help is to just be of service, not in a way like, you know, inserting yourself into their lives, but just finding a way that you can be of service. And so we can look at that just in ways of like, how are you doing? How are you holding up? And if you're speaking to someone in their target language and they're having a hard time, now you're going even deeper because you're touching their heart through the target language. So, okay, touch. Um, Touch, this idea of, because we are, you know, we have five senses, right? And we get a lot of sight when we're walking in nature. Touch is important when we're walking too, because it's grounding our, our body. The in, in Chinese medicine, and I, I'm sure I've told you guys this before, but I'm an acupuncturist. So I'm always thinking about things in terms of points, but there's a point at the bottom of your foot called kidney one, and it's great for grounding. So if I want someone to sleep, I will either um, do some heat on that point or I'll needle that point. And it just brings all that energy down and it grounds them. When you're walking, you're doing the same thing. You're just giving acupressure to that point and that's massaging it. But this idea of like holding hands with your loved one, it can be so healing and you can do that while language learning. For example, someone just got a new puppy. So Shannon lives in the house of beautiful blonde people and she ended up getting a beautiful blonde dog. <laughs> and I, I want to remind people that touch doesn't have to just be human to human, right? It can be human to animal and you can pet your dog. And have you done any um, type of language learning where you're with your dog, you're touching your dog and you're also learning? And when have you done that? First, a story about why I have this dog. Um, I've always had dogs. Uh, there was a 
five-year period, the last five years where I haven't had a pet, which is like the first time ever in my life, but I have anxiety and dogs are one of the best things you can do for anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems counterintuitive because it's like a thing to take care of and a thing to be anxious about. But that's kind of why I wanted to get this dog because I knew it would be something that would help me with this. And so, yeah, it's like, I love having her just like sit next to me and be against me when I'm working, when I'm studying, when I'm doing different things, she's still not leash trained. So walking with her is not quite as meditative as I'd like it to be. There's a lot of pulling and stopping and, um, she is a puppy. So she'll just lay down and be like, I'm done. (laughs) Thank you. You got to carry me now. (laughs) So, um, Eventually, when she gets a little bit older and has a bit more endurance, uh, it'll be a lot more enjoyable. But it's also like companionship. So I spend a lot of the day alone. Um, And then I'm engaging with little people, which is different than engaging with adults. And so it's kind of just like this other presence that there is, which is Mm -hmm. very helpful and positive too. But yeah, no, for sure. And then also like talking to the dog in the other languages, um, which is good for the kids to hear too. So like the dog will be just like, like, what are you doing? And like the kids are like, huh? Oh, I know what that means. Um, And so it's like good exposure for them as well. Like, and then to hear the language that's not directed at them where they're like scrambling processing, like, oh, what is she saying to me? Oh, yes. It's like, oh, what are you saying to the dog? It makes them curious too. Like you said, that curiosity. So it's like, I'm cheating, getting them extra exposure to the language. It talks to the dog in Chinese and then they're like, what are you saying to the dog? Oh, let me teach you. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, and that's also one of the things just to kind of be tangential for a moment here with the kids that I've been working on because I kind of fell off using Chinese with them a little bit. And, you know, for me to to suddenly switch it back on would be frustrating for them and for me. So finding ways to start to reintroduce it. One of the things that we've done is little common phrases that I have to say to the kids, like, hurry up. Um, Now I say, quiet here. And the kids go, how? So it's like, you know, switching little day-to-day things. And it's like, you just slowly switch a bit more, bit more, bit more over. And eventually before you know it, it's like, you're basically one parent, one language again. It takes a while, but you get there. And it's good for the kids too, because, you know, you kind of focus on these little phrases. So it's like, like the tell the dog to sit, you know? And then it's like, okay, it's like, sit. It's like, okay, that's our focus phrase for a little bit until the kids start to get it. Um, and giving them little key things to ask back, like, please, ting, or like, you know, different things. So the dog also gives us like kind of an outlet to do some extra practice and all of those other things. But yeah, the touch for sure. It's like that having that warm body next to you, um, except when it's the summer is, is quite comforting. <laughs> yeah, I don't speak to my dog in my target languages, mostly because um, I think Chris would be, my husband would be a little bit upset because he doesn't, he wouldn't know what words. And I don't think he's up for learning. I don't think I can teach. I don't know. Maybe we could do a course on like how to sneak teach your husband, uh, target language, but this idea of, because yes, dogs are great for anxiety. Dogs are also really good for depression. So I don't know how many times my, I've, you know, had a difficult time. I've been grieving the loss of a loved one and my dogs come up and giving me a kiss where my tears are, you know, and there's just this idea of like, oh, we're, we're in this together. And that tactile, like reading while having my dog next to me and just stroking him feels really good. I do say one thing in, in um, French to my dog. It's when I'm asking him to go number two. So I don't want to say like poop, poop out loud to people. Cause I try, I've trained him to go in the dog run to do number two before we go for our walk, which is glorious. And then every now and then he sneaks an extra one out and I'm like, don't. And luckily I have a bag, but I don't want my neighbors hearing me 
tell him like, okay, it's time to poop. You need to poop. You need to poop. So I started using bon nerd, like good. That's good. That's good. Bad word for poop. Um, but none of my, <laughs> none of my neighbors know. Someone was like, bon merde, bon chien, bon merde. So he knows like when I'm speaking French that it's time to poop, which I really like. I find it like my little secret, my secret job. And and I started to use uh, the sneak contact with language learning with uh, little ones because one of your little ones and I played Zelda together and he speaks French. So my rule before I even came into the room was I only play video games in French. So when I talked to him, it was kind of like the store policy, like uh, Elizabeth only plays she only plays video games in French. You want to play with her? Okay, let's play. But she only plays video games in French. The benefits and of being the quirky aunt. Exactly. Aunt Elizabeth only plays video games in French. <laughs> it's like, right. And so it was kind of like a given. He was like, oh, okay, that's a very weird thing that you think. You can only do that. But then it no longer became a, it wasn't a compromise. It wasn't like, are we going to, aren't we going to? It was, if you wanted to play video games with me and I'm a lot of fun because I stink at them and then I get very upset and I start babbling <laughs> in target language. Um, but we had so much fun doing that. And it was, again, I believe that that's another secret way to be of service, right? Because I was getting contact with the target language, but I was also lovingly allowing one of my favorite little people. Uh, the, the puppy is probably now going to be one of my next favorite little beings, but one of my favorite little blondes to um, have contact with his target language as well. And that was really beautiful. So now we've talked about touch, service. I want to talk about something that um, I think is also really something that we could use and I call it the action plan. So I mentor a few people in other parts of my life that we, we do like um, self-development programs and we're working together. And one of the things that I recommend to them all the time is having an index card with a list of tools that they can use when times get tough. And some of the tools are um, going to a meeting with a bunch of peer, a bunch of your peers that are dealing with the same things that you're dealing with. So maybe it would be uh, for Shannon, it would be a dance class, like going to a meeting, being in community. Another thing is literature, which I think we should talk about. But this action plan will have like writing. So when times get tough and I, I do this now, my my index card is in my head. So if I'm having a really difficult time and uh, right now I'm dealing with a, a great deal of grief in my life because I have a very sick loved one. And so what I do is I take that mental index card. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling really lonely. And what am I going to do? And one thing is like connect with another person. So I will send a text. Maybe it's to Shannon. Maybe it's to another friend. I'm having a really hard night. And, and I always preface it with, and this is what I'm going to do next. And then another thing on the list would be um, going for a walk, uh, which is the physical or writing. I love for me, the best way to journal when I'm in the real depths of stuff is sometimes I do this in my target language. Sometimes I do it in English, but I write lists of three things. The first list is three things that I'm grateful for. The second list is three things that I surrender, three things that I am powerless over. You know, I'm powerless over the fact that my loved one is ill. I cannot fix that. And then three things that I've accomplished that day. And for a depressive period, that's a really important that's a really important list because it might be like I list of things that I've done is I walk the dog or I had a healthy breakfast or I brushed my teeth. Like if it's a really difficult day, 
brushing your teeth is a gigantic accomplishment and you can do this in your target language. Now, let's say you're having a really difficult time. So we're, we're going through the tool of writing now. Let's say you're having a really difficult time and you, you just don't want to think in your target language. You're allowed to cheat. You're allowed to go on DeepL Translator or Google Translate and write up three things that you're grateful for in English and then translate it into your target language. No one's going to smack you on the wrist with a ruler, right? You can then put that in your journal. So during my meditation retreat, I would often like write down things that were bubbling up inside me. I would write them down in a paragraph in English in DeepL Translate or Google Translate. And then I would just write them out and I knew what they were, but I didn't have to do that processing. That is still making contact with the language. So my question to you, Shannon, is do you use writing ever as a self-care tool, as a tool for nourishment? Absolutely. Um, I am not a consistent journaler, but I definitely see a lot of the benefits and power in journaling. One of the most powerful things that I find with journaling is I have a bit of um, what happened that day, amnesia. I don't know if you can relate to this. Like at the end of the day, my husband comes home and he's like, oh, how was your day? What did you do today? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. The day happened. I can't tell you. I forgot. So writing things down, keeping um, some sort of documentation helps me a ton. And not just so that I could tell my husband what happened that day. Um, I, I tend to be like the spontaneous texter who updates him throughout the day. I'm like, if this is important and he needs to know, I'm going to text him right now and tell him. But more so um, because it's documentation. So like, this is why we have everyone do those videos on days 30, 0, 30, 60, and 90 in the challenge because it documents your progress and where you're at. And journaling is the same thing. It's like what you've done that day, what you worked on, what you're grateful for, what you struggled with, what you were thinking, um, all of that, having that down, it gives you that documentation. So like right now, I also have a very sick loved one and it's like processing that and how I feel about that and writing it down so that later on I can look at it and be like, that's where I was. And this is where I am now. Am I better? Am I worse? What do I need to work on? What should I be doing if I am worse to improve this? And it gives you kind of a track record. And those track records are so important. Now, of course, like journaling can also be used negatively. So for example, like if you go in and you're just like angry writing, it's good to angry write. Please like get it out because writing it down is a healthy way to get it out of your system so that you're not directing it at someone else. So please angry journal all that you want. Don't go back and reflect on those entries. That is a like getting it out of your system you know, rip the pages up, burn them. So you can't go back and like dwell because like if you do the angry journaling and then you go back and you reread them, you can let it fester and you can like mm -hmm. get all angry over it again. Mm -hmm. um, use it as an outlet to release and then like release it, like let it go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, don't go back to it and wind yourself up again. Mm -hmm. um, but also too, like as an extra la layer of security, I may like do those angry rants in another language. So it's like that way, it's like, I'm not going to put this out on anyone else at all because now not only am I doing it this way so that I'm not directing it at the person that I may be frustrated with or the situation that I'm frustrated with, I'm putting it in another language so that that way, if someone, like if I forget to tear it up right way or whatever no one else is gonna know no one's gonna know right <laughs> that famous tiktok me you know not that i'm like super angry and like bashing anyone close to me in my journal or anything but everyone experiences moments of frustration mm -hmm. you experience moments of frustration with your kids and rather than being like i am frustrated at you you get to sit down and be like 
<laughs> write it down, get it out, and then be like, okay, now I can go mom again. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah. I love that. And I I I would uh, also say like do your angry journaling and then compost it. It makes great soil. <laughs> using that using that paper. So this is beautiful because it's also uh, I grew up in a very large family. And so having a journal was really it was hard to be private in a large family. And it's hard to be private when you have little kids. Cause they just, they just have no personal boundaries. So they're just opening up stuff. And so having it in a different language, I think it's um, Jessica from Sunnyside French or French Sunnyside, right? She first started, she's a French teacher. Uh, she's a mindful French teacher. I actually think Shannon is doing something cool with her coming up this month, right? Like mindful, mindful language learning. And she said that one of her strengths in learning English was she was in her teens and she really needed to process that. And she didn't want her mom reading her journal. So she wrote in English because her mom didn't speak English and it strengthened her language like nobody's business. So there's a lot of beautiful things about having your own little secret languages in, in your life. And I agree, you don't want to fester, but you do want to get those things out. There's spectrums. I just listened to this. And this is another um, self-care tip is listening to guided meditations. Like when you're too tired to meditate, listening to a guided meditation in your target language or a um, children's story in your target language, like Hansel and Gretel before you go to sleep. And one of the guided meditations that I listened to recently had something really beautiful. It was, um, she said that there's a spectrum of emotions, right? And so on the spectrum is sadness at the other end of sadness is joy and they are connected. So when you truly feel your sadness, you are then making way to truly feel other emotions such as joy. Another one that I thought was really beautiful is on the spectrum of anger, there is tenderness on the other side, right? And if you are allow allow yourself to feel angry, you can also feel tender, you can feel vulnerable, you can feel more open. So when we talk about writing the opposite, right? Writing is is um, active. We're creating the language. Passive would be reading as one of my other tools on my mental index card. So for me, some of my favorite, and I know you're a big reader too, so you're going to have an easy list, I'm sure. But a few of my favorite books, I now read in my target languages. So I've read them in English and now I'm going to read them again in my target language. Some of them are like my, my language exchange partner and I are going through um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's phenomenal. And it's, it's actually a really difficult book in English because his sentences are just, they're very abstract. And he's saying the same, really, you know, the power, really the whole entire book is about, is in the title, but then he says that like 18 million different ways. And so the paragraph, the sentences are paragraph long and they're difficult and they're using words that I've never used in French. And yet um, just reading a paragraph with my friend. And then he asked, like, what did you understand? What didn't you understand? He helps me with pronunciation and it can shift my day. Like if I'm having a really bad day, say my loved one is I've got some new news and it's, you know, he's taken a turn for the worst. When I'm in that language exchange, um, sometimes I don't want to talk about my fear and my worry and my concern. I just want to be speaking in French. And so I find that the power of now has been a great way to remind me. It's almost like I'm getting these hidden messages from the universe 
that I'm just opening myself up to. And the power of now has been translated into many languages. Another one that I really love is um, Pema Chodron's, and I might be mispronouncing her name. Pema Chodron is another meditation teacher and hers are um, when things fall apart. So she took a series of all of her um, lectures about difficulty, grief, um, sadness, uh, anger, and she and she made it into a book. And that's also been translated. And then another one, which is a really, it's an oldie, but a goodie. I think it's when good things, when bad things happen to good people by Harold Kushner. And then also when my mother-in-law was ill and we were helping her pass, I read a great deal of books about death and dying just because I wanted to be educated on how I could best help her transition. And uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a great book about death and dying. And that is also, you know, it's a classic. You can get it in different languages. And so if you're having a hard time, sometimes it's nice to touch on voices that could help you in your target language. And you could even have the English version. And now I did this once before. It didn't work for me. Having the English version next to me, I just got lazy and started reading (laughs) the English version. So I really try to keep the English version away somewhere. And I just try to read and and get what I can get when you're at an intermediate level. But if you're a beginner and you just want to do one paragraph at a time, it might be nice to have them together. What are some of your, your favorite books for hard times? Good question. I don't really know, but for me, what reading looks like with my languages is more, I, there is just so much I want to read. I will not get through every single book I want to read in my lifetime. It's just not possible. There are too many amazing books out there. Um, so it's really, really difficult for me to justify rereading a book mm-hmm. as much as I love it. And so one of the ways that I get around this is when I come across a book that I just love that I really would like to reread rather than rereading it in English, I reread it in another language. So for example, right now I'm reading The Eye of the World in Hungarian and I'm reading Game of Thrones in Russian and I'm reading The Name of the Wind in Spanish. So I'm getting to revisit all of these books that I really love and then get language practice and not feel bad about rereading something instead of reading something new that I haven't gotten to yet. And there's just a lot of benefits to that. And plus reading for me is a bit of escapism. Mm -hmm. So like I can disappear into a book when I'm reading. And so when I'm not feeling great with what my real life is, I go and have a fantasy life reading one of these books. And it doesn't matter what language it is. Yes, it's a little bit harder to experience flow and get into, you know, the same state in a book in another language as it is in English, but through consistency and constantly reading, it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. So that's where I am at with reading. I have read lots of books that have helped me with how I'm feeling and processing things, but I can't, nothing comes to top of mind. No, I love this idea of using fiction as a release as well, because for me, I love nonfiction, mostly because I feel like I'm being useful in my in my native language. But if you're reading something fiction, that's just giving you a a break from the drudgery of whatever's going on. It makes it feel like I'm being useful, like I'm still making contact with the language and I'm allowing myself to escape, to have a little bit of of joy 
in whatever way or ignite my imagination. So I think that's really important. Another thing I wanted to bring up, uh, and this was more for the community events that you were talking about, is for those of you, because I know that in the past two years, there have been a higher incidence of addiction, um, depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies. And believe it or not, there are peer support, like I'm constantly recommending these to my patients and I love them, uh, are 12-step groups. I love them because they're free and they're peer support. So Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, which is if you have a friend that's suffering or a family member that's suffering from alcoholism, um, it's just peer support. Overeaters Anonymous, if you're starving or you're binging or you're stress eating. Um, Debtors Anonymous, if you feel like you're compulsively shopping. Uh, Narcotics Anonymous uh, and Emotions Anonymous. These meetings, I, I mentioned this to I'm like, I think it would be great if language learners started going to 12 step groups. And he's like, that's crazy. And I'm like, no, it's not because there's lots of, you know, on Zoom, you can go to a, an Al-Anon or an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in Poland on Zoom. And you can be the fly on the wall that listens. But the beautiful thing of, of this, aside from getting some help, is that 12-step meetings are all structured the same way. So you start with you know reading some stuff and then they've all got this very similar rules and they're free. So it's language learning that could also connect you with people that maybe are struggling with similar things that you're struggling with. And I just love them. And I think they're great for folks that want to try something new. And we'll put in the show notes some of their, their links. Um, so that's one of the, the community events that I just forgot to mention. And then, um, Shannon, do you any, do any type of art therapy? Uh, because I have a friend that started doing collage. I think that, and there was one year that I went through where I, coll- I made um, Christmas card at a collage and it was just very therapeutic. They were not pretty. They were very abstract because I'm not the, I'm, I'm artistically challenged, but I didn't care because it felt really good. But I imagine that I could also do that with like, take a French magazine or a German magazine or a Persian magazine and, and use some of those words to put in it. Um, one thing that I have done in my target language is take a quote that I feel really resonates with me. And I've written it a few times, like I'll draw maybe a tree and then around the tree, I'll draw, I'll write out the quote that, and I might write it out like numerous times. I did this a lot in grad school when I was learning uh, different herbs and the formulas that they created, I would draw things to remind me. And then I would write out the functions, but now I do that in the target language. But I, again, I keep it very easy. This is not, this is making contact. This is not learning the language, like adamantly. Do you do any form of art? I write music. Yes. Tell me about that. And actually, when I realize that I'm kind of slipping into a really negative space, mm-hmm. I have almost always been able to connect it to the fact that I am not writing, mm-hmm. which is strange. I don't think that um, I'm in a negative space because I'm not writing. I'm think, mm-hmm. I think that writing music helps me get out of the It keeps me out of the negative space, if that makes sense. It's, um, so the correlation goes one way, I guess. But yeah, no, writing music is like very meditative for me. And um, I really enjoy the process. And like, I am super happy when like I finish a song or come up with an idea that like, it's like, yes. Um, And then music is also very collaborative. So while I could, you know, just keep the songs to myself and and do everything myself, I have the ability to do everything myself. I choose not to. 
I choose to email one of my friends um, who I met in Ireland, who's Greek, um, to play piano on one of the tracks. I like reach out to people that I work with to play on tracks, you know, and, and so I bring other people into it. And of course, it takes it to places that I wouldn't be able to come up with on my own because, you know, the second you get someone else involved, they bring new ideas to the table and it takes it to a new place and then you're even happier with it. So for me, writing music has been one of those things. And a lot of the time when I'm looking for ideas or I have something kind of in my head, I will listen to other stuff. So when I'm working on songs and I go out and I listen to other things, like I don't just listen to music in English because I think that people create really amazing music from all parts of the world. And um, it's good to have really diverse influences so that you don't end up sounding like any one thing. Um, the same is true for language learning. You want to listen to a ton of different people speak the language that you're learning so that you don't end up a carbon copy of like one source. Um, it allows your language skill to be more diversified, listening to different people of different ages, of different genders, of different regions, of different microcultures, I suppose you could say, um, to really round out your language. And the same is true for music. So I listen to a lot of stuff in other languages. I may be listening to like one of my favorite Croatian artists and like be like, huh, I like this song. Oh, it gives me an idea for a different song. And then I'll go and that kind of has some inspiration. Or when I'm writing songs, a lot of the time, what comes to me first is kind of like a melody idea. And so there may be some words that are kind of, they're not the lyrics to the song, but like when you hear a certain line, sometimes like certain words just go to it. And so that may become the name of the song and it's not always in English. Or, you know, if I record a song, I may do a French version of it. So I have a lot of French songs that I've released, um, or I may do a Croatian version of it, or maybe in the future I may do other things, but then too, like, because I'm listening to music in other languages, naturally, especially if they're languages that I speak, I may pick up some of the lyrics. It's like, there's this one song by Khalil Fong that I just love. It's like, Shisha, Nike, Wada, I. it's like, Tisha, Tisha, it's like, so I know the words and it's like, I know what they mean because obviously if I'm singing them, I'm like, what am I singing about? It's like, oh, well, he's singing, he's thanking his fans for all of the support that they've given him in his music career. And so it's like, that's a kind of a powerful thing. It's like turning it back and, and writing a song saying thank you to the people who support you. So it, which in turn gives you ideas too, or, you know, there's just so many ways that languages and music can converge. And then plus anything that I do with music is almost always transferable to languages because like the discipline, the practice, the consistency, the ability to focus, to write a song or ability to focus, to practice, or some of the things that I do when I practice my instruments, like oh, I can do the exact same thing if I just tweak it a little bit for language learning. So anytime I spend on creating art, I can then say, oh, the skill that I learned in creating this art, I can also use for my language learning. And it's like, you know, two birds, one stone kind of thing. So you, so now because of you, I'm going to join a dance class and I'm going to start writing songs again because I've never written songs in my tar target language ever, ever, ever. I think I'm a little bit shy about that. But this idea of listening to songs in different languages with the eye for or rather the ear for getting new ideas is brilliant because I'm terrible with um, lyrics, terrible, terrible, terrible in English. So I'm pretty terrible in every other language as well, because I, I think I just I gravitate towards the melody. But this idea of like, oh, wow, I could get ideas for writing. That's just beautiful. So you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Shannon is going to collaborate with me on my first. <laughs> I'm already committing you. No, Shannon actually has collaborated. And we should put in the show notes a link to Shannon's, uh, I don't know, Spotify, uh, you know, Spotify link or whatever your songs are, the links to your songs, because there's one in there that she has um, 
Lindsay Williams of Lindsay Does Languages singing this song. I mean, it's just really cool. So I highly recommend going and checking that out. And of course, the theme song to this podcast is Shannon. That's Shannon's music that she created. So thank you for reminding me of that because it is, you know, I, I learned guitar that way, kind of speak from day one. I picked up a guitar, I got a, a Mel Bay chords book and I played chords and then wrote songs. I mean, it's that simple, but this idea of using it for language learning just sounds absolutely beautiful. So we covered so much today. And I'm so grateful that you would open yourself up and allow us to, to see the vulnerable emotional side of how this polyglot works, self-care and self-resilience and using language learning as well. If you, dear listeners, like what you're hearing here, we have more tips. Just let us know. Send us some emails and let us know. Yes, we want to hear more about the emotional side of language learning because we have lots more to share because we're emotional beings. We're emotional, spiritual, physical beings. And, and we happen to do languages as well. So yes. thank you so much for your time, Shannon. This yes. was really very enlightening just for me. I always get something out of chatting on this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. All of the links and resources, everything else that we mentioned will be available to you as a part of the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. And if you enjoy the podcast as well, you can also join our Patreon where you can get access to longer form versions of the podcast. So longer chats with our guests. And um, you'll also get lots of other goodies by signing up for our Patreon. So to close out, thank you so much for listening. Until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.